Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to season two of The Daily Marketer, your daily dose of growth marketing for the founder or startup marketer. For season two, we thought we'd do something a little different. We thought we'd bring people who are growing their business from different industries and or growth practitioners or people who are subject matter experts in subsectors of marketing like branding, search engine optimization, affiliate marketing. Uh, programmatic job ads, and a few others, and bring them on and source these nuggets of knowledge for them. So hopefully you can take that and implement it into the growth of your business. Our guest for today is Paul Klingen. Paul Klingen is a Lululemon ambassador, a certified personal trainer, yoga coach, and the founder of Down Dog Athletics, a fusion of two worlds, athletics and performance, you could call it the dark side, with yoga meditation, and mental performance, the light side. Prior to Down Dog Athletics, Paul spent five years in the advertising industry working both in-house for Amazon and agency side at Wyden and Kennedy in the world of media planning and buying. Paul is a beast in his ability to not only create content, he's made over 70 podcast episodes, written over 20 articles, uh, made 30 different videos, and I know he's, he's going hard with those videos now. He's also driven some amazing results in growth for his company and brand that's only been around for, I'd say, a little less than two years. He has nearly 10,000 podcast downloads, 10-plus clients he personally trains, and um, a bunch of Instagram followers that, you know, people who really do listen and uh, appreciate the knowledge that Paul drops. Paul holds a bachelor's in advertising from Washington State University, where he was a D1 athlete in baseball. This episode with Paul was amazing. I mean, Paul is, he's mission-driven. He's insatiably hungry. He has a deep bias for action that has led to pretty quick success for his personal brand and coaching business. So it's a treat diving into his growth marketing journey. If you had to ask me who this episode is valuable for, I would say for anyone who wants, who's building a personal brand or a fitness coaching business and wants to answer the question, how do you do it well? Because I think Paul is doing it very well. Most entrepreneurs start out as a one man band or one human band, constantly juggling the role of maker, manager, project manager, marketer, salesman, accountant, everything with growth being honestly the livelihood of your business. Paul is the quintessential example of the constant orchestration at play. He does it pretty damn well. Also, if you like what you hear on this episode, please hit the subscribe button below. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with a friend, perhaps someone who's building their own wellness brand, their own coaching business, who could really relate and wants to hear what Paul has to say. You sharing the episode helps tremendously with our own growth. So uh, I also want to throw in that for any person that signs up, you're also signed up into a raffle for a $100 Amazon gift card that we'll announce every other week. So make sure you hit that button. All right. Well, please enjoy and uh, bye-bye. Paul, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you. I wanted to have you on the show because for the past 
two years now, two and a half years, you left a corporate job. Year and a half. Year and a half. Yeah. Okay. Well, lots happened. Yeah. And you left, so you left that job to start your own company and in some way build your personal brand as well. And I know you'd been doing that. Uh, so wanted to really talk to you about the, the marketing aspects of everything, right? Because like you said about selling, selling is, is half of everything and it's, uh, in, indispensable in that way too. I want to start off in an unconventional way though, just to, to warm up. So I know baseball was a big part of your life and I don't know if it was just a big part of your life in college or if it was in high school as well. So what influence did baseball have on who you are today? It has a huge influence because my business name is Down Dog Athletics. I get my athletics from my background in sports and baseball was my main sport growing up. So I would have played from five all the way up at Washington State in college, like you mentioned. I was fortunate enough to weasel myself into a starting role as a freshman on the varsity team because they didn't have a catcher. And I was like, sweet, I'll be the catcher. And when I look back at parallels between baseball and now, I was at that job at Amazon, like you mentioned, and sure, it's busy, but there's not a ton of things to be thinking about. And I just think back to when I was 13 and standing in left field waiting for the next fly ball that may or may not come the entire game. And then all of a sudden there's a butterfly floating and it's just kind of like boring. And then I get behind the plate and there's a million things coming to me. And I realized, wow, I love this. There's so many things to be aware of, so many things that I'm in control over, so many things that I have an impact over. And now when I look at what I do day to day, my favorite days are the days where I feel like I'm Indiana Jones running out of the the tomb and grabbing the hat right before I like, you know, leave for the next meeting. Like I sometimes will like sing the theme song in my head because I feel like I'm literally running from one thing to the next. And that was kind of the same feeling that I would get catching because pitch comes and all of a sudden the ball's in the dirt and the guy's running. Then the next play, like there's so much going on. And so when I look at like, that's just one example, but there's so many mindsets from how to approach practice, how to approach games, how to approach just working hard and teamwork and all the cliche terms that you get from sports, that's really one half of my identity as a brand and my identity as a person. And I think it's something that, you know, obviously I wouldn't trade for the world. I think you can get in other other ways to be competitive, whether it's in a business stance or you're looking at musicians or artists, right? Everyone's got their craft, but there's so many things that I take from sports. And I think last thing I'll just say with it is baseball is one of those things where it's like this pitch and you got to have really short memory, kind of like a quarterback where whatever happened the last pitch, now it's this pitch. And so that ability to be present and really just grind out reps. Baseball's got so many pitches, so many games, so many swings in the batting cage, and you don't see the results right away. And a lot of times in business, in sports, you're doing everything right. You're lining out to the center fielder. You're putting the best swing on a ball. Or in business, you're doing everything right, but your customers just aren't landing yet. But it's just that trust that if I keep doing this, it's going to all happen. And I would rather hit a line drive to a center fielder than get jammed and hit like a bunt single and have it look good. That's kind of like landing a client that is not someone you want to work with and you get money, but it's not sustainable and it's not where you want to be in the long term. Hmm. 
it's it's a little bit unpredictable, but you're you're taking the opportunity that's there. And you mentioned you don't see the immediate results of it, but you're trusting that it's the process. Going to give you the process of it that's going yeah. to give you the signal back. I guess to bring in marketing now, you know, sometimes it feels like even like for me personally, you know, writing blog posts or doing podcast episodes, you're doing it and you're going, oh, it just feels like no one's listening. You know, yeah. it feels like no one's even coming, you know, and then maybe you have a month or two where, oh, the viewership is low or the readership is low. It's like, well, how do you know when to trust the signal and kind of have faith in the process and, and when to not to go, you know what? Maybe I need to tweak some things. Yeah. So, so basically, what signal do you listen to to know that it's going right or it's going wrong? Yeah. Well, I mean, having some sort of way to track the metrics and a return on investment sometimes doesn't always make sense because you're like, you write a blog post. Like, no one's going to buy the blog post. And I'm like, great, I write a blog post. It makes $2 every time I post it. That's really easy math. But there's some things where you're right. You're putting in a ton of effort and a ton of content knowing that it's going to be profitable in the future, but at the same time, you don't know what piece of content it is that that client catches onto and is like, okay, I want to work with this person. It surprises you. It right? surprises you hundred percent. And what you, what you do. don't realize though, is people will reach out to you. People reach out to me and they're like, Hey, I found you on X. And I'm like, Oh wow. I didn't even realize anyone read that. I didn't even realize anyone listened to that. A specific article? A specific specific blog, a specific podcast. I've been following you this entire time, and I finally just now got the courage to reach out to you. So right there is an example of the marketing funnel where it's something got them interested, and then all that content you're creating is just slowly massaging them down. Like I got a visualization of like the stomach, right? It goes down the pipe and then it's in the stomach and it's getting digested. And then like, you don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but there's that trust to it. But like I mentioned earlier, you do have to have some sort of measurement as to like, is this something that is getting hit? So a blog, like, is this post getting hits? Am I enjoying this? I think that's another thing too. There's got to be a mix of, am I good at this? Is it going to make me money? And do I enjoy doing it? And when you get all three of those things to land, then you're really hitting uh, the jackpot. Yeah, it's like a Venn diagram. That's yeah. why I always saw it as your passion crossing over with the market opportunity, crossing over with maybe a third thing that is optional or customized to you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think that's really important. Uh, so you have a marketing background. Marketing is, I found, a hard thing to get into to start. You yeah. Know? Like, so she has a junior marketer even getting into advertising, like a reason that I moved to Australia was because I thought maybe I can get an internship there because I can't get an internship here in America. So how did you end up in marketing? Funny story. So marketing at Washington State University would have been in the business college. Uh, advertising was in the communications college. They had two very different requirements to getting accepted into them, and business required a lot more math. So I'm not a fan of math. A lot of my counting day-to-day is 1 to 10, 10 down to 1. And so calculus is not really something that I need. But you say, all right, I can go into communications. The classes are going to be multiple choice tests, uh, maybe a little bit easier. And this is my mindset in college when you're playing sports and you just want to play video games and go out. And But advertising was in that, that was a degree offered within that college. And so I was able to spin it to my dad 
where I was like, oh, advertising, dad. It's like marketing. Marketing's like business. So I'm getting a business degree kind of. It's just in a different college. I don't know why. So I did, did advertising. And what was really cool about Washington State is they have a really famous communication school. It was called the Edward R. Murrow College of Communications. And I think they've changed it now to Keith Jackson, but it's got a a really good reputation. So I knew at least, all right, it's not like a scrub part of Washington State University. Like I'll have some respect coming out of it. But then I also remember one of the professors saying, how old are you to the class? Most people said 21, 22, 23, 24 for some reason. And they're like, great. That's how much you can expect to make your first job, just add three zeros to your name. And I was like, wait, what? And so... (laughs) Like, Dad, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm going to get a little longer on that loan. Um, So I get an advertising degree, and what I subconsciously did that I don't think a lot of other people did is I applied early on to a bunch of different internships and... Because Washington State has such a good reputation, there's a lot of kooks in the Seattle market and different markets that were already in ad agencies. So I was sending out feelers. I joined Ad Club. I went and did the tours. And at the time, I was – it's one of those things where the teacher's like, oh, this is important. And you're like, yeah, I bet it is. Like, I'm going to tune you out now. But it actually was important. And I'm glad I did it. So I get my first internship with Titan, which at the time was like did bus advertising, knowing was that in Seattle, it was in Seattle, yeah, okay. knowing that that was going to hopefully lead into a connection where the internship at Colin Weber, which is another advertising agency, they worked together. So mm-hmm. I started to make that connection. There was some kooks over at the advertising agency side, and then went on a Europe trip, came back, job opened up, boom, made the switch. Then you do to that Colin Weber to Colin Weber, yep, in okay. Seattle. Then from there, working. You're still in college at this point? No, at that point, I just graduated. Just graduated. So from there, I'm now doing, I've done two internships, making $10 an hour. Yeah. And I finally get my assistant media planner offer, $30,000. Yeah, from Colin Weber. $30,000. Yeah, ching, hey. ching. <laughs> which, you know, at the time, you don't know any better. Maybe I should have yeah. known better that, like, yeah. you could negotiate or you can make more money at 24. But I was like, sweet, I got a full-time job now. I got benefits. I don't know what that means, but I got them. And You're like, and we have beers at work on time. Right, that, and that's the yeah. thing that advertising, marketing all gets you on is like you're going to have a – I'm going to actually take a step back. I was going to say you're going to have a bad work-life balance. I've really come as an entrepreneur now to look at work-life balance a little bit differently. I'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. But it's like, sweet, I get to wear jeans and Nikes and have IPAs at 4 p.m. Like this is a sick job. And – you know, there's things that are great about every job and there's things that are absolutely brutal about every job. You got to find out what you enjoy most and what you're willing to give up. So I was there and assistant media planner, you're making what you're making. And another Coog connection opened up at Wyden & Kennedy. So down I'm, in I'm, Portland, I'm, I'm yeah, down in, yeah, down right. in Portland. So I'm riding this connection. And that's the other thing about marketing ad agencies. People, people always say, the industry is so small, mm-hmm. don't burn any bridges. And that's 100% true. Like networking mm-hmm. and knowing people and being nice to reps and reps being nice to planners and everything is, is incredibly important because that's yeah. how opportunities open up. So I go from one internship to the next internship to a job to another job. I'm at Wyden and Kennedy now, and it's all riding this string of Washington State College of Communications. So now I'm a media planner, or I transitioned as an assistant media planner to Wyden and Kennedy. Uh, and then eventually got promoted to media planner. But 
there, like that opened my mind up to a whole new world. Of, yeah, how was that different? It's just, you go from like a one story ad agency to all of a sudden now it's an entire city block and it's one of the most architecturally cool and sound buildings I've ever seen. And everyone there is so smart. They're all from England with accents and they all have been working on Nike for 20 years. And they're like, oh yeah, Kobe was in the other day and the founders coined Just Do It. And you're like, wow, there's so much lore in these walls. I'm just happy to be a part of it. And at the time, a lot of the business that we were working on is uh, Old Spice. So all those campaigns of I'm on a horse. And I got, yeah, yep. Uh, I got put on Facebook and Travel Oregon. And in the two and a half years, three years I was there, worked on 10 accounts, which is crazy. One, for an agency to have that much business. I wasn't even on half of what they had, but there's just so many big accounts coming in, so many incredibly smart art directors and creative directors and PMs that are on top of it and graphic designers. And you just realize like what a full scale, full service agency looks like because a lot of shops are split up where it's just media or just creative. And it's really um, fragmented, but there everything was in-house. And so it was really cool to see how it all flows together from getting that initial briefing from the you know, CMO from a company all the way to the spot running on the Super Bowl. And you get to see that entire plan roll out and there's a lot that goes into it. That's really cool. Did you have any idea going, when you got the job offer, what you were getting into of the caliber of marketing and advertising that they did there? No, I would even still looking back, I kind of just thought like, oh yeah, that'd be a cool job to get. Like the amount of times people are like, like, how did you get a job there? Like I applied or that's so hard to get a job. And I was like, I really just emailed someone that was connected through my college and they were hiring. It was one of, a, a mix of dumb luck, really good timing. And, you know, not to say too, like I talk about having two internships and then being an assistant media planner. I, I definitely would say I paid my dues to get to a position of being an assistant media planner, if you can even pay your dues at that low of a low. I still think I was still, I think I still am paying my dues to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> my dues are still due. Dad, I need a longer loan time. Uh, still going to need some help. But Sorry, I mean, still no, it's like so many people work their entire careers to get to a spot like that and to get there that early at a lower level. And I think maybe you look at, all right, I was there, but you know, I was only making so much or I was only working on these accounts. So was it really making it? Uh, that's for everyone, I think, to kind of have that conversation with themselves to be like, what do I want out of a career? Do I want the identity of the building that I work in? Do I want the paycheck? Do I want the coworkers? Do I want the fulfillment and working on some really cool stuff? And it's kind of a mix of all that. Yeah. Uh, and that was ultimately one of the reasons why I left is I was just like, man, I would want to continue to scale my financial situation. And so that's why I left and went to Amazon. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what does a media planner do for, for those of us who don't know? Oh man, they just fill in a bunch of squares on an Excel chart and send more emails than necessary. Really what a, a media planner's job to do is take the creative vision of the creative team and give it a place to land. And they want to do it in the most strategic way possible. So a creative director says, I want to have a talking banana. Great. Where is that going to work best? Is it a banner ad? Is it a billboard? Is it a TV spot? How is the social media campaign going to play in with that? Is so, it picking the specific sites 
the, yeah, specific sites. Yeah, okay. you want to be you want to be strategic in thinking. All right, how are we going to display this creatively? How are we going to make sure that we're hitting the right audience? And then how are we going to space it out so that the frequency and the reach is appropriate? Because you don't want to hit people too much. We also need to hit people a lot these days just to for it to aware. land. Yeah, just for it to land and for right. people to be aware. So you got to have that that good balance where you could have. 10 websites on your media plan and you're running, you know, in stream 30 second video, but would it be more strategic if you just found three and really hit it hard knowing that those three had your core target? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's what a media planner's job is. And so you have the strategy, then you have the actual tactics and implementation. Uh, But then once that happens, then it comes into this whole buying back and forth email like I was talking about, Mm -hmm. because every single place you want to be on has a sales rep, and they have their entire team of creatives that has to talk with your creatives to make sure everything's to spec and nothing mm-hmm. matches and it always right. goes wrong and it always gets traffic late. And so when things get launched, it's on the 11th hour. And that's where those crazy long nights come in because you're maybe two weeks delayed because the client changed their mind last second. And then all of a sudden, the creative comes in wrong because the sales rep miscommunicated. There's there's just so many people that have to communicate to make sure everything gets live on time and everything fits. And it's like you, you say you're a media planner, but you really got to start to get into the back end of obviously ad servers and what it looks like from an HTML5 standpoint. And that's not even going into things like search or, um, you know, getting on like, social like that's an entire there's entire agencies that just do facebook right and as a media planner when i was there they're like all right you're gonna do do you, do you ever have soylent no it's like a, a drink that you have that's supposed to keep you full it's kind of like a something mm-hmm. that like a, a tech person would have to avoid mm-hmm. going to lunch yeah but i was doing the media plan I'm running their YouTube budget. I'm running their Facebook budget. I'm running like all these social media campaigns. And like, I'm just a media planner two years in. And here I am handling hundreds of thousands of dollars on advertising. And this, this is all after it launches because then as a media planner, your job is to report on how everything does. And ideally, you're able to report on a return on ad spend. But then it comes back to what kind of campaign are you running? Is it a direct to market? campaign or, or is it a brand awareness or is it a thing? brand awareness and then that's a real fun conversation when you're like <laughs> that's a hard conversation <laughs> the, the, the when you go to report and you're like we delivered 900 million impressions 20 percent of them were viewable because they're all below the fold <laughs> and people loved it because we got some social media posts of people saying haha your commercial is funny brand awareness is up and it's like <laughs> That was a giant waste of money. And that's where that, I forget who says it, but there's that famous saying, I know how my advertising works. I just don't know which half. Right. I think people say it's Ogilvy, right? But that's like saying Steve Jobs said it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So they're like, that's really what media planning goes into. And like, as you become a supervisor and director, then you're working a little bit more closely with the creative director and the account director and working with the client. I was really fortunate on the 10 accounts that I worked with. I was able to be in front of the client and the, the executive team with on a number of accounts. And I think that was something that really accelerated my growth, hmm. especially from a, a communication in, standpoint. In a personal development. Right? Yeah, because I have to, at 24, working on Kennedy, I get, I'm owning the floor for this 
You're the subject 70, matter expert. 70-page right? report. Which yeah. No one needs a 70-page printed-out PDF or uh, PowerPoint, yeah, but on. we did it. So I, I'm getting really good at selling yeah. on how well the campaign did, but I'm also just getting really good at articulating and communicating, answering questions on the on the fly yep. and all really good skill sets that are going to translate anywhere in life. And so those are kind of the things that I take away from my background at ad agencies. And again, working at Amazon is being able to look at something, see how it did, and then sell the positives, downplay the negatives. Uh, one of the other things that always comes out of that is always over under promise over deliver, right? Uh, which yeah. from a customer service standpoint is very important. Amen. So you went to Amazon after that, and was it a similar role that you had there, or was it a little more holistic of buying ad placements, reporting on it, doing it for lots of different brands? Just reported on a bunch of really small campaigns at Amazon. Yeah, it was honestly the best job to have because the last half of working there, I was trying to start my own business, and so I was able to dedicate a ton of time. It was around the holidays. Paul, how did you get all of these reports done, like you're turning out so many. And I'm like, it's really not that hard. You just look at it, click two buttons and move on to the next one. I think sometimes people would overanalyze things a little bit too much. That was a cool job. I, I, so I worked with you there. Yeah. I met you and I was there to kind of assist in like the overflow of stuff. And I remember it was like made reports. It was uh, pacing. And then it was actually like, making optimizations yeah optimizations. that's it the the the, the trifecta yeah right uh and yeah do you feel like that job was more challenging in any ways than Wyden and kennedy or not more challenging i think one of the reasons why people are like how are you getting so much work done and i was like this is not a hard work <laughs> environment this is pretty tame yeah but i think the big things take away from a place like Amazon is more of the mindset and culture about how to approach things. Mm-hmm. Some things I really agree with, some things I really don't agree with, but at the same time, like there's a reason why they're so successful. And so if I can take a lot of their leadership traits and look at how I now apply them, I'm like, wow, I'm really glad I work there because having that framework is incredibly powerful with what I do now. Yeah. They have some really good values. I love the as you know, be willing to change your mind as you get more data, mm-hmm. right? I think mean, that's a life philosophy sort of a thing, and it creates that humility and also the growth mindset to go, you know, I'm not going to get stuck in my opinion about that thing that certain way because technically I'm learning something new every time I dig into it or I live longer, yeah. right? So I want to ask you so we talked about Wyden and Kennedy, and then you went to Amazon. So how did this ultimately define your marketing strategy for Down Dog Athletics? One, I think the big thing that I took away from both Wine and Kenny and Amazon is like creative matters and how things are represented matters. And I can't even tell you the amount of times where people have reached out and been like, how many people are you? Or how long has this been? And I'm kind of just laughing because it's just me at the time. I've had different contractors and I've had help from photographers and different people that all like contract out for small projects, but it's just me, but I'm able to put myself up as this big brand that seems so much bigger. Hmm. And the bar that I have for creative, whether that's photography, video, 
how the website looks. I'll get compliments on that all the time. But what I have seen as what is acceptable is what is acceptable to a world-class ad agency or what is acceptable to the biggest e-commerce mm. platform. And so when I look at things, that's the lens that I'm looking at things through. Um, I would also say... So heavy focus on quality creative, quality content. Yeah, quality okay. creative, quality content. Which uh, is noticed. Like all your, your articles are sharp. Your videos are really crispy. Like, yeah. Yeah. And with, like, with the podcast too. Like it's, that too. You get in environments where the normal is X and that's what you're going to take away when you go and leave. So from a sports analogy standpoint, you always want to play on the best team, even if you're not playing, because what you see and at the level at which you're required to compete and perform is that much higher. I would never want to be the best player on a worst team or on the worst team. I'd always want to be the worst player on the best team. You hear that in a business standpoint all the time, be the dumbest person in the room. Now there's going to be times where you're leading or you're in the middle of the pack, but always try and think, how can I get around people that are going to challenge and elevate me? I forget who... There was this marketing school. Uh, it was like a marketing program for self-promotion. And he said, branding your logo says so many things subconsciously about your brand. You know, if you have a crappy logo or it looks like you made it on Word, it says you're not credible, like that you might not be trustworthy, that you don't know what you're doing, therefore you lack confidence. He's like, but it literally says all those things. If you do have yeah. a good brain and you are sharp with it, you know, I'm credible, I'm trustworthy, I'm confident. I know what I'm doing, you yeah. know? Uh, and what's well, like dress, right? You'd never go to the bars, dress like a bum and be like, Oh yeah, people are going to love me. Yeah. <laughs> right. But if you're in a suit, people are going to at least right. believe that you have everything together. Amen. Yeah. I, so you, you make a ton of content. So how do you make so much content and why is that such an important part of your marketing? Well, do you follow Gary V? Yes. So to a yeah. fault, I follow him and take what he says sometimes too much where I feel like I'm putting out stuff that if it was more strategic might be, might hit a little bit better. But really what I try and look at everything as is every day of the week has a bucket and on those buckets, I'm doing something with the majority of my time filling podcast, filling video, filling blogs, filling client work or client calls. And so I'm a big believer and love using things like time blocking and really having everything scheduled out. But when I have days of the week that I know are dedicated to X, it removes the decision fatigue. It allows me to create larger spaces of time to create. And that's where I'm able to do things like make sure I'm having podcasts come out two times a week weekly or make sure that blogs are coming out or make sure that I'm pumping out a bunch of videos. And it's one thing that I really enjoy. I look at creating content kind of the same way a music person, a musician is probably a better word for that, the same way a musician creates music. So I'm going to blank on Justin Timberlake, first guy that came to mind. How many songs has he created? If he comes out with a CD, he knows that not every single song is going to be a hit. He knows which ones are good, but you want to go and create content and let the market tell you what's good and what's not, and then go from there. And so I get a ton of fulfillment creating content because I'm producing, I'm creating. Every day we wake up, get out of bed, and our job is to go create and produce in some capacity. And you just want to make sure that you're doing it to the best of your ability. So creating content 
is something that's really fun for me. It's challenging. It allows me to be creative. And, you know, the, the, coming back to what we were talking about earlier too, you just don't know what one's going to hit. So in a way, like every piece of content is like the pull of the slot wheel. And that video might be the one that that's it. And not that you ever like, yeah, it's it and you're done working, but that might be the might next be the one. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's, it's really fun. And at the same time too, as a coach, where I, that's how I make a majority of my money. My job is to educate people and you educate people through content and through helping them. And that's the other way that I try and look at my content is everything that I produce and provide should provide value to someone and, and help them solve a problem. That's really well put. So had you been creating content before you built the brand? Like you see, you seem pretty great at it and it seems like it comes naturally to you. Is it, it has a pull for you or is it a, you got to push yourself to create content? No, I would say it would even go back further to a childhood being the oldest of my family and wanting to be the center of attention. And you kind of get that craving of, of laughs, right? If you're the class clown, mm-hmm. you almost get your self-worth out of how many laughs you can get that day. Mm-hmm. So in a way, creating content and being on social media is always like how much of a rise or a stir can I get out of people? So if you look back at some of the stuff I posted before I had a business and a brand, it's like me and a mullet or it's me holding a fish and doing something crazy. And it's always with the intention of like entertaining. And so I've always enjoyed and maybe pushing the envelope. Like there was a time I had a mullet shoulder length when I was playing baseball and I, uh, this is straight in college? in college and I straightened it. I had a girl straighten it for me. So I got this like straightened out mullet. I was so excited to throw it up because I was like, I can't wait to see how people react and see what people say. Yeah. And obviously that can go down an entirely like dark path on social media now where you're like, I'm just looking for likes. I'm just looking for whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get your self-validation out of. But I, I genuinely enjoy creating stuff that gets reactions and causes people to like ruffle their feathers in like a way of laughter in a way of like, Whoa, I don't like, that's a different way to think about things. Like that's a really good feeling for me mm-hmm. when someone reaches out and say, and says, Hey, I listened to this and it made me realize X. I'm like, sweet. That's what we wanted. That's the win. Yeah. Right? Even if it was just one person that gave you that feedback. Well, because only one person's going to reach out, but nine other people wanted to. So and they just know, did. Yeah. You might be able to, and so you go, you know what, if it landed with one, it landed with 10. Yeah. Yeah. Think how many people you go out throughout the entire day and you're like, oh, I like that guy's shirt. But you never say that. Right. But if you're able to take that mindset of, all right, I know that more people are getting value out of this than are saying that they do, then it, it's kind of like this like big buffer yeah. orbiting ball around everything that you create. And you're like, all right, I know, but there's like unrealized potential that right. if I keep hitting will eventually make that ball bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. That haloing kind of like, yeah, exactly. Mind body analogy. I I remember seeing this is before you got more serious with down dog athletics. It was a video of you post on Instagram pushups. I think you call it piano pushups and you'd put, Oh yeah. uh, Dumbbells on the ground. And Mickey had showed it to me. I was like, that's really clever. Yeah. Like this is really creative. I noticed that the theme across all your content is always, there's some level of creativity uh, and something maybe you haven't seen someone do before. Like you talk about the, the mullet thing. Uh, it's like, well, maybe it does stir a reaction, but it's also you expressing yourself. Yeah. So I actually have a tattoo on my forearm and it's a ship and 
it stands for being the captain of your own ship and really getting out of the bay or the dock and going your own direction. So I get a lot of joy out of assessing what the group is doing and going to some degree in the opposite way. It might not be a complete opposite direction, but it might be a a slight deviation. But that's where I like having that opportunity to stand out and be different. A really good example of this is right now with the coronavirus, every single fitness influencer is doing IG lives, Facebook lives. Mm -hmm. And for a couple days, I was like, man, I'm getting really behind the ball. Everyone's doing this. But then I know that there's the other part in my head where it's like, everyone's doing this. You shouldn't do that. And so the last few days I've spent it up until like 4 a.m. filming videos that'll now live on my Down Dog Athletics Method channel that people can go watch, subscribe to, pay for. And I'm trying to take the mindset of coronavirus is going to last X amount of months. How is what I create and the value that I give going to live another six years, another 10 years? Yeah. And so it's for me, again, there's always a balance between everything. If something works really well, you probably want to mimic that to some degree, right? I'm not going to go reinvent the marketing funnel just because I want to go in a different direction. But the more that I can go at a slight deviation and be a little bit more of a purple cow to pull out a Mm -hmm. Seth Godin reference, Mm -hmm. uh, the more that I'm going to, one, get enjoyment and fulfillment of myself, knowing that I maintain my identity and then just go with the crowd. But I also feel like I have a better chance at, hitting gold with what I create. Right. Yeah. Hey, sexy ladies and gentlemen, that was part one to our two-part conversation with our guest. Arguably, the second half is actually better than the first, so I suggest you go and listen to that. Also, before you go, I want to ask you for one small favor. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please help grow the show with me by either one, reviewing on Apple Podcasts, or two, subscribing to the show. To give you a little background to why those two, it's because both have a material effect in growing the ranking of the show in podcast categories through the iTunes podcast ranking system, similar to how Google search ranks and organizes top sites for a specific search. To sweeten the deal, we're going to do something a little special. If you review the show on Apple Podcasts, I'm going to enter you into a $50 Amazon gift card raffle, which we're going to announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's simple. Review the show on Apple Podcasts. It's that little purple podcast app on your phone. Scroll to the bottom of the show and hit add review. 10 words, 10 seconds, very easy. You'll be entered into a $50 Amazon gift card raffle, which we're going to announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's free money, y'all. You got to love that. If you wouldn't mind doing that, that would be freaking amazing. Thank you. Take care and good night.